Mark 3, verse 13, and I am reading from the ESV translation. And he went up on a mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, who he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, thank you for your word to us this morning. It's by these books and chapters and verses and words that you do so much work in us, that you reveal yourself to us. Uh, Lord, this morning, <clears throat> purify our hearts, uh, keep our minds free of distraction. We want to see you working in our church and our city. God, this morning I lift up Kevin to you. Um, God, would you have already been working in his study and his writing over the past week? Uh, would you be working in his words to us today? God, would you bless his uh, voice? Would you give him the words that he needs? Um, God, as we meditated last week, would you make um, the meditation of his heart and the words of his mouth pleasing in your sight? God, we thank you for everything. And we thank you for Jesus most of all. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Aaron. Feeling a little under the weather today. I'm COVID negative, um, but may fall immediately afterward because of that. But you might pray that, that God would strengthen my voice so I can make it through this. But I'm excited to watch this, this series. And I want to start by saying that getting the equation right is so important. Getting the equation right is so important. Now, I always did fairly well at math growing up, but I didn't really enjoy it much at all. Um, I much preferred the reading and the writing over the arithmetic, for sure. Um, last week I was talking to little, little Sibu, um, and he was telling me right before the gathering how much he hated math. He was just going on about it. And I just looked at him and I responded, tell me about a man. I hate it too. And then his mom kind of gave me this look. You're not helping me here, Kevin. But then I tried to recover, backtrack a little bit, and I said something like, but Cebu, it is really important. I mean, I do use it all the time. Um, but of course, the, the damage had already been done. Um, I was being fairly truthful, though. I, I do often find myself using this math that I didn't like, and sometimes even equations. Um, I don't get too sophisticated, that's for sure, but I often find myself in a situation where I'm trying to figure out what X equals, and getting it wrong messes things up, right? Um, now, what I'm going to talk about today isn't math per se, but there's nothing quite as critical as understanding and living out the equation that I'm going to show you here in a bit. You and I, we can go to Home Depot and we can grab another 2x4. You can open up a new file on Photoshop. But you and I have one life, and we don't want to get it wrong. I'm actually going to start with the wrong equation first. Here's the way that we typically think and go about our lives. How I live leads to who I am. I think we should have this for the screen as well. How I live leads to who I am. Who I am leads to what God does. And what God does in response shows who He is. So in that equation, our identity depends on our conduct. 
Our identity, we build, determines God's response to us, but that's the opposite of what we believe as Christians. Here's a better way. Here's the proper biblical equation. Who God is and what God has done leads to who we are and how we then live. So rather than trying to prove ourselves to the Lord and somehow earn His love, we live out of that love. So we see our new identity as His beloved children, and that shapes how we live our rhythms. The equation, it does make all the difference. Today we're watching this series um, entitled Identities and Rhythms. Normally we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible here in Cars, and we'll, we'll get back to Matthew soon, and we'll be there for a while. But as each fall, we take a few aspects of what we're about, um, who we are as people, and for this series, we're going to actually focus on the second part of that equation, who we are and how we live. But as it's our first week, I want to make sure we all understand the first part of it as well. So take who God is. In Karis, we, we commonly talk about what are known as the four G's. So God is great, God is glorious, God is gracious, God is good. The four G's, I think they're a helpful summary of the character of God. When we say God is great, we're saying that he's completely in control. When we say that God's glorious, we mean that he's the most beautiful and the most weighty being in the universe. When we say he's gracious, we're talking about a God who welcomes sinners like us to his table to commune with him when we deserve the opposite. When we say he's good, we're saying not just that he's morally pure, we're saying that he's completely satisfying. This is who God is. Take what God has done. Here's the amazing news. Even though we're sinful and we don't deserve to be in the presence of God like that, the Lord made a way for us. He sent His Son Jesus to earth to live a perfect life that we can never live, to die in our place on the cross for our sins, and to be raised from the dead on our behalf as well. So as we turn from looking at what we do and turn to looking at his work for us, as we trust in that, we're made right with God again. And then, this is what results, those four G's, they're all ours if we're believers in Jesus. We're brought into his family, we're made children of God, so therefore, because God is great, we don't have to control things anymore. Because God is glorious, we don't have to fear others, we don't have to live for their approval. Because God is gracious, we no longer have to prove ourselves either to Him or to those around us. And because God is good, we don't have to go elsewhere. This is who God is. This is what He's done for us in the gospel. Now, as I've already said, when we become believers, we're made sons and daughters of God. Out of that core identity, though, there are six identities that we like to talk about here in Karas. And we'll look at the first one this morning along with the corresponding rhythm. But first, let's go back to Mark chapter 3. Because here we see Jesus calling his disciples. Look at verse 13 again. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. So Christ here gathers this critical group of men. And look what it says about them. He called them 
to him. Verse 13 says, so he's the one who takes the initiative. He's the one who does the choosing. And then they came to him and explained. So they respond. They respond to his call. Now, those 12 who are called who come are not particularly sharp. I mean, one of the themes we see as we read the Gospels is what people refer to as the dullness of the, the disciples. They're also not particularly godly. We're going to see Peter's sin time and time again as we walk through Matthew. And he ends up being the leader of the bunch, right? So none of them is that smart. None of them is in any way perfect. There are 12 of them again. Verse 16 tells us. And that number is very symbolic, right? Because there were 12 tribes in the Old Covenant people of God in Israel. And these 12 men would be the founders of the New Covenant people of God. They would go out on mission and they would launch the church. Those guys who were imperfect to the core, but prone also to be at each other's throats. And look at what verse 13 says. Also, he called to him those whom he desired. So he desires this group of ragamuffins, maybe more like ragamuffins. But he wants them, he calls them, and they respond, and then everything changes. They then are defined by their relationship with Jesus. Cars were also given a new identity, right? The term that's used here in verse 14 is actually apostles. They're the sent ones. They're the capital A apostles. The church is founded upon them, on their teachings, on their writings. But in a sense, that's also us. We're sent. We're small A apostles, sent out into the world for Jesus on a mission. But these men are most primarily known as disciples. And that's a term that definitely also applies to us. Even though we're nothing special, even though we're broken sinners, all of us. <laughs> Pastor Jeremy Treat of Los Angeles did a study of all the words used to refer to followers of Christ in the New Testament. And this is what he found only three times they're referred to as Christians, 15 times called believers, and a whopping 253 times Christ followers are called disciples. So we might need to get our language more aligned with the Bible. Disciples, that's a fundamental identity for us also. We have been called to him if we believe. We have come to him if we trust in him, all because he desired us. How awesome is that? We're his disciples. But what does that term even mean? Well, at its most basic level, a disciple is a learner, a student, who learns who God is, who learns what God has done, who devotes his or her life to going deeper and deeper into those truths. Here's how we put it in cards. We're learners. We are learners of Jesus who take responsibility for our own development and the development of others. We are learners of Jesus who take responsibility for our own development and the development of others. So this is who we are, learners. But hear, hear this, because we can sometimes go too far this way. We're not just talking about our heads. Yeah. Filling our minds up with knowledge. That's in, included. But we're talking about our hearts and our hands. We're committing to learn all about God and His gospel and all its implications for our lives. 
not just to trust those truths, but to obey them as well. Jeff Vanderstuff puts it this way. This is what discipleship is all about. It is the ongoing process of submitting all of life to Jesus and seeing him saturate your entire life and world with his presence and power. That's what we're learning in. That's what we're growing in, Cards. But we're not just thinking about us. We do take responsibility for our own growth, leaning on the Spirit, but we also think about the health and growth of those around us. We don't just walk around thinking about our own needs, but we think, what does my brother need? What would help my sister grow? As we're going to see in this series, we're called a community. We're made a part of a family. And as disciples, we begin to care about those around us and what will help them learn. And we also learn from them. Right? We need each other to teach us the ways of Jesus. We need each other's strengths and gifts. But we also need their weaknesses and sins. Either. Because it's as we learn to bear with one another, to sacrifice for one another, that we truly walk in the path of Christ who gave his life. He humbled himself to save us. But all this is so hard for us, especially today. And I think there are, I'm going to suggest two main reasons. I'm sure you could add more to that. But I'll call them arrogance and prejudice. Take arrogance first. There's so much pressure to have all the right answers today. Right? People are praised for their pompous hot takes online. They get likes for putting others in their place. Right? It seems like you can't be in politics today unless you're very extreme, right? Very proud. Nuance and understanding and respect and gentleness aren't appreciated at all. They're mocked. Humility has never been seen as anything but lame, definitely in Jesus' day. But today, arrogance is celebrated. It's platformed, and we see that all around us. Last week, Aaron preached on Psalm 19. Some, some time ago, I saw author and professor Esau Macaulay quote verse 12, which reads, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. And he applied that verse to Christians resisting this idea that we have hidden biases, that we have sins that we don't even realize, people who deny that and protest that. How can we ever think that we fully understand our, our hearts? They're deceitful. Are we greater even than David who prayed this prayer? How can we be so proud? Are we going to let the world show us how to learn? Shouldn't we model humility for them? We're called to be learners, to look like Jesus, the gentle and lowly one who, of course, had nothing to learn, but showed us that humble posture. But here's the irony. We, we may resist humbling ourselves, submitting to learning, but we're learning all the time, even when we don't realize it. We're not nearly as independent and competent as we think we are. We're being shaped by and conformed to, though, the world. Here, here Mike Cosper, he puts it so well. 
He, he writes, we automatically assume that what people want is a matter of their own free will. We like to think of ourselves as autonomous actors in the world. We think our desires are innate, they're ours, and what we want is something that is developed freely and independently. But our desires don't appear out of nowhere innate to our hearts. Rather, they're formed by innumerable explicit and implicit influences that range from our family system to our education to media to politics. When God tells us that we're clay, it's not just a happy image that promises that he, the potter, has the power to shape us. It means that we are moldable and something is always forming and shaping us. Our culture tells stories that shape what we think is good and what might make us happy and our hearts conform to those stories. Did you catch that? Something is always forming and shaping us. So no matter how arrogant and defiant we may sound, we are being discipled. We are always by something, by someone. Take prejudice. Today, we're dividing up into tribes. We gather into our camps. We hurl stones at one another. We see this even in the church of Jesus. We unfriend people that we don't agree with. So every, no one in our timeline upsets us, triggers us. We cancel those who make us upset. We walk away from friendships that we've had for years. If they have the gall to challenge that video we post on social media. It's hard to learn from people that you avoid and hate. We can't respect, much less tolerate one another today. But back to those original disciples. They were sinners and they were even natural enemies. I like the way that, that author Rich Villadis puts it. So we have Matthew and Simon in that list. Matthew, he says, worked for the government. Simon hated the government. Matthew was a tax collector. Simon was a tax protester. Matthew collected revenue for the Romans. Simon was a rebel against the Romans. Matthew was wealthy. Simon was working class. Matthew made a living taking advantage of people like Simon. Simon made a living trying to kill people like Matthew. Despite all these differences, somehow Matthew and Simon were able to remain connected, but it cost them something. Matthew had to stop taking advantage of people like Simon. Simon had to embrace a different vision of revolution. This is the essence of the new family Jesus was creating. So if Matthew the tax guy and Simon the, the revolutionary would have been in the church today. They, they wouldn't be, first of all, but they wouldn't have talked to one another, much less learned from one another. But that's what we're meant to do, to learn from the people in the gathered body of Christ and to help those around us grow. And there's so many blessings in that. David Platt reminds us, he says, this is the beauty of making disciples. When we take responsibility for helping others grow in Christ, it automatically takes our own relationship with Christ to a new level. Lifelong learning should be our expectation. I know school just kicked off and you're starting to study and you may be groaning with that, but lifelong learning should be our expectation as believers. If you've been around a while, you've seen this graphic more than once. We try to put it up once, twice a year as a reminder on what we call the cross chart. So you see the timeline of our lives from left to right. There's this point of conversion when God rescues us, and then the learning really begins to happen. The top axis refers to our comprehension of God's holiness, 
The bottom one refers to our understanding of our sinfulness. Our understanding of both those things is very small at the beginning. Right? We, we don't even realize the extent of our sin and how awesome God is. But as we move along in life and as we grow in His grace, that gap in our understanding, it actually gets bigger. It gets wider. We understand more and more how holy God is. We come more and more to grips with how sinful we are. So instead of getting to this point where we think we have everything figured out and nothing left to learn, the exact opposite happens. We learn just how little we know. But there's joy in that, and that's because, as you see there, the wider the gap grows, the bigger the cross can be, and the more and more that gap can be filled up with the gospel of Jesus, and that brings joy. Right? So, cars, if we're followers of Jesus, that means we're disciples. We're learners. We should be humble people. Not quickly offended, not easily provoked. Hungry to learn with open hearts, learning from Jesus, learning from his people around us. Even those with different experiences, backgrounds, convictions, opinions. This is our identity. It's who we are. We're learners. Well, let me move to our second point and go back to the passage again. Verse 13 speaks of Jesus calling his disciples. Verses 14 and 15 gets into why he called them. So verse 14, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Why? Why did he do this? First, so that they might be with him. So they might be with him. Here's what disciples did. They latched themselves to a rabbi and they followed him around watching and learning. So this is what Jesus did with those 12. He opened up his life to them. He allowed them in. He gave them his time. Yeah, he taught them in, in formal ways, but in so many informal ways through the conversations around the fire, through the, the walks along the way, along the path to their next ministry opportunity. Notice what's next. Why second did he call these disciples? So that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So there's a lot we can unpack there. But what I want you to see here is that he calls them so that they might be trained by him. So they can be trained. So the point of discipleship is not that you just soak up the teacher and stay him beside him forever and ever. But that you would be raised up and sent out here to, to share the gospel in word and to show its power through their deeds. The learning you see has a purpose. John Stark puts it this way. Disciples are not merely learners, but fruit-bearing disciple makers. They multiply themselves. So we're learning, but we're learning how to put it into practice. So these 12 are given this new purpose to get their lives in step with the beat of Jesus. And we're given, we've been given this rhythm by him as well. So as Aaron taught us so well last week, our God reveals himself graciously in his creation, right? Through his word, most of all through Jesus. And the Lord wants us to hear it and respond to it. The point of his revelation is our response, right? But to respond to it, we have to hear it in the first place, don't we? Jesus has called us 
Jesus desires us. We have come if we're believers, and he wants us to be with him. Have you thought about that? He wants to be with us, and he wants to train us. He wants to teach us his ways that he can send us and use us in building the kingdom of God. He's given us a rhythm that fits with our identity as learners, listening. listening. So here's how we say it in cards again. We listen to our Lord, allowing him to also speak his gospel to us through others. We listen to our Lord, allowing him to also speak his gospel to us through others. Listening, this is meant to characterize all of our Christian lives. Listening to God, primarily in his word in our Bibles. Listening for his gospel there, for who he is, for what he's done. And again, all of its many, many implications for our lives. We don't just seek to hear it again, we seek to put it into practice, to obey it, to submit to his lordship in every area of our lives, to be trained for ministry, that we bear fruit. But that's what disciples do. It's, it's fundamental. We listen. But notice, again, we're not just listening to him, we're allowing him to speak to us through others. Yes, through leaders that he's placed over us. There's a lot of resistance to authority today, and, and I understand that, I, I feel that at times. God's placed leaders in his church that he's called to speak to you. Through our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, the members around, about, around us, we're to listen. We're brought into a community, we're brought into a family again, and we're to help each other, and we're to listen to those around us and learn and grow. Sometimes you may show up on a Sunday, you may go to your MC, you may have coffee with, with someone, and you may think immediately, yeah, I've heard that before. I've already learned that. But if you thought that what we so often need actually is a reminder of what we know to be true, or maybe there are times, this is often, that we need to be reminded of how that truth applies to our lives, and in that specific life situation, one of my mentors, who is now with Jesus, used to say, I heard him say it many times, he said, the, his name's Chip Stan, he says, the Christian should be easily edified. Edified means built up. The Christian should be easily built up. So if we're listeners, if we're learners, if we have our Bibles open and we have other disciples nearby, we will never ever lack food for our souls, and God will often surprise us by what he teaches us if we're ready to listen. Of course, we're hindered again from that listening by our arrogance and by our prejudice, but I think there are a couple other things that make it really hard for us to listen. These may be obvious, but first, distraction. Distraction. So many images and messages fly at us today. It's relentless, right? Notifications that we get on our phone, they hinder our conversations, they interrupt us as we're trying to study God's word. And not only do those distractions keep us from hearing God, they actually broadcast, in so many ways, the ways and values of the world. Here Mark Sayers, he says this, he says, in the network world, even the most committed believer will consume only a fraction of the information and input from their church compared to what they consume via podcasts, YouTube, and Netflix. 
The digital network is now our primary formational environment. It shapes our opinions, values, and worldview. Today, the average churchgoer will Google a problem before they approach their pastor. The digital, digital network is the primary shaper of their theological, political, and cultural worldview. David Kinsman and Mark Matlock warned that screens disciple. We're being distracted, but we're being discipled by our screens. What's so wild, of course, is that the algorithms on our devices also keep us seeing. They keep feeding us the same content that just confirms our biases and, and reinforces all the arrogance and pride. Pretty scary. That's, it's no wonder that we look around today and we see a mess. Here's another thing that keeps us from listening, busyness, right? We run from work to the gym, drop the kids off for sports, run into the store while they're there, uh, pick them up again, maybe grab a meal on the way home, we eat it while we're scrolling through our phones, then maybe we get to homework, we get to chores. Every spare minute is filled with something. There's a place for responsibilities, but we have to listen, right? We're so busy. Very little space and time to listen to Jesus in his word, among his people. We got places to go, things to do, but we're killing our soul. We have to make space and a lot time to just be with Jesus and to be taught in his ways. We have to recapture things like solitude where we get by ourselves and turn off the noise. Like Sabbath, where we stop and rest and worship and rejuvenate ourselves. We have to prioritize gathering with God's people and worshiping Him together again. That is, if we want to truly listen and grow and be the people that God calls us to be. We also have to prioritize what's important. Have you ever heard of the Wisdom Pyramid? It's by Brett McCracken. He's got a book by that title. That's worth checking out. What has to be our foundation? What's at the bottom there? The Bible. With, with the Bible, this is our daily bread. What's next on top of that? The, the church. The local church where there are, we experience embodied rhythms and worship. And there are wise people in our physical space where there's that proximity. But then he also says we learn from church tradition, time-tested theology, wise people in, in Christian history, the continuity of the ages. What's on top of that? Nature and beauty. So nature, general revelation, as Aaron talked about last week. We have to get outside and hear God preach to us in a way without words, right? And beauty, the glory that we see in nature but also the glory that we create as his image bearers. So we make and enjoy good art, good music, and we walk around the world, we should attend it, observing, looking for glory, open to wonder. Above that, McCracken says we should prioritize books. He says old ones more than the new ones, the great ones that people have read for ages. And he recommends a broad array of books, fiction, nonfiction, theology, history, poetry, prose. Only on top of that, notice, he lists the internet. And he says, we, we consume the internet watching out that we're not ruled by the algorithms and robots. 
Um, we're focusing on trusted sources. We're prioritizing content recommended by people we trust. And at the top, with not much value at all, he places social media, which is meant to be used sparingly, realizing that too much of it is harmful. What do you think about that? Well, you know, of course it comes from the, the, the food pyramid, right? Um, what happens if you consume stuff just at the point? Well, you start logging things on new, like I currently have, right? Um, that's what happens. You know, if you take a pyramid and you try to get it upside down, it doesn't work real well, right? I think this is a, just a helpful guide in prioritizing the voices that come into our life. And if we don't think about this, if we don't wrestle with this, it's going to be hard for us to listen. It's going to be hard for us to learn. And it's going to be hard for us to grow and be the people God wants us to be. So church, this is our rhythm, listening. It's how we live. We're listeners. We're characterized not just by open hearts wanting to learn, but open ears always ready to listen. Well, let's go back to that original equation. Because of who God is, because of what he's done in the gospel, we're learners. That's our identity. That's one of them. We'll get to five more of them. If we're to be learners, we have to listen, and that's a critical rhythm for our lives. And just to clarify again, we don't listen and learn to know enough or do enough to somehow get God to approve and save us and welcome us into his presence. We do all of that as a response. So because of the love that he showed us in Christ, let's do all we can to listen and learn and come to love our Father more and more. Well, I want to close with seven probing questions that may help you as you try to apply what I've talked about today. Here's the first. Are you characterized by humility and hunger toward God and others that fits with being a learner? In what ways do you need, do I need to repent and grow? How are you maybe being consumed and shaped by the spirit of our age? Second, are you open to listen and learn from those around you, especially those different from you? Do you prioritize doing whatever you can to gather with God's people and you show up, not just from the sermon, but just in your conversations, you show up ready to listen and learn? Third, do you recognize your responsibility to learn and grow, as well as to help those around you? What would need to change for that to happen? Fourth, how can you make space and time in your life to listen to the Lord? What do you need to shut out? What do you need to give up? Do you take a Sabbath? Do you regularly experience solitude? Fifth, what sources are you listening to and learning from? How does your life stack up with that pyramid? Are you building on the right foundation? Are you listening to the right voices? What might you need to change? Six, are you learning and listening with gospel mission in mind, or are you just trying to puff up your head? How are you putting into practice what you're hearing and learning? Are you open to Jesus training and sending you? This week, in your classroom, in your workplace. Seventh and last, are you rejoicing in the truth that Jesus has called you and desires you? That he wants to be with you? Or are you trying to believe and obey and listen and learn as a way to earn his love? That can't be our motivation. 
We're learners, we're listeners. Join us next week as we explore another identity in rhythm. Let's pray. Father, we, we praise you that you didn't leave us in our sin and folly, but you have pursued us. You came walking in the garden, asking, where are you? He said, Jesus, into the world, saying, where are you? And, and drew us in um, to be near um, to you. And Father, allow that to sink in. Allow that to give us joy. And Lord, um, just impress upon us the privilege and joy it is to be a disciple of your son. Um, mesmerize us with the reality that um, you want to be with us, that you desire us, that you want to show us things, you want to teach us things every day. And um, by your grace, allow us to just be aware, to have open hearts and ears, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.